um, has just been kind of uh, being mused about in my heart over the latter few weeks. And though this is not the subject matter that I'm necessarily preaching from, there's just a few phrases along the way that I'm just finding inspiration in. And I'm reading from the New King James Version, and it reads slightly different than the way I've been uh, through my natural memorization of this particular passage. So sometimes, even as I read, I revert uh, back to that, that memorization of days that gone by from the King James Version. But here Paul, in 1 Corinthians, as a result of the divisions or the schisms that have been created in the Corinthian church due to following other ministers. You know, Paul, uh, if you read the first chapter in, its, in the earlier verses, here's, he's simply saying we're all in this to preach the gospel and we're not here about following Apollos or, Apollo or following Paul. We're, we're here to follow Christ. And so Paul, in essence, as we pick it up in the 17th verse, says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, because there were those, if the minister baptized you, then you were in his camp. And uh, so Paul said, you know, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. But notice this. And let's pay attention to the, to the words here. Not with wisdom of words or of man's wisdom lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, there's some controversy in the King James versus the New King James as if it's speaking of an individual progressive salvation. It's not, in essence, what that's saying. It's that as people are being saved, as they are being saved, it's the message that is the, that's leading to that result. It's the message of what? The message of the cross that is resulting in people that are being saved. Does that make sense here today? Now we turn to the 21st verse. Let's just read that. It says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Um, for the Jews require or request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we, Paul says, preach Christ crucified. To the Jews it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks it is foolishness. But unto us which are, are called, both Jews and Greeks, it is Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. In essence, he's saying this message of Christ crucified is resulting in the Jews stumbling. He's saying as well to the Greeks, this message that you and I hold to so dearly today, he's saying to the Grecian culture, he said that's foolishness to them. But to those of us who are called, I don't know about you, but today I recognize that I was called of God. You've heard me say it many times, I did not find God, he found me. I wasn't searching for him, but he was searching for me. He found me because he called me and I responded to that call. And so that is the power of God. Uh, 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 that message is the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men if there were a weakness in God in his weakest state and there is there is simply no weakness in God the Bible speaks that there's no variableness now the shadow and turning there's no days when God gets up and he goes oh just a little tired and sore today I don't know if I can do this God God doesn't have day you and I have days like that but God doesn't have days like that, church family. He is ever consistent. He is always omnipotent, right? And so in this passage, he said, but if there was a foolishness of God and if there was a weakness in God, it would still yet be stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, 
Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. Who became for us what? He became wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. These are words that are not spoken of. Uh, if, in my personal opinion, uh, enough in today's contemporary church. But if you attend First Assembly of God, Hebrew Springs, you're going to learn about these words, right? For we find that they are uh, imperative to our communion with God and our spiritual growth. And here it says, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now Paul makes this personal. He says, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom. And if there was any, Paul makes it sound like that he is an ignorant hillbilly like Pastor Brown. Now, Paul was one of the most learned men of his generation. And he could have spoken with any body at any secular university. Paul could have walked in and had a conversation that would have confounded them in his knowledge. But he said, when I was among you, I didn't come with that excellency of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. He said, because I was transfixed. Paul is transfixed on something. His gaze is affixed on the cross. He said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I'll tell you what, there's no greater demonstration of God's Holy Spirit and the power of God than when He raised Jesus from the dead. Right? There's no greater demonstration of all the miracles in the world since the creation of the world. There was no greater demonstration than the resurrection of Christ. That your faith, that our faith is not in the wisdom of men, but it is in the power of God. And that's a powerful passage of Scripture. There's no good place to end it. But now let's turn to Matthew's gospel. We're going to read just about six or so verses. And oddly enough, we're going to be into the very passage of Scripture where the men's Bible study was at this past week. Little did they know that when I was seated there amongst them, that that very morning I had began to search this passage out a little bit uh, because my heart was leaning this direction. And you'll understand more clearly as to why here in a few short minutes. So if you found Matthew 11, would you stand in honor of the reading of Scripture? And I'll expound the context to you in just a little while, but we'll just pick it up here in the 12th verse. Here it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law have prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'll tell you what, I still want to have a spiritual ear today, don't you? To hear what God is saying to my life and to us as a church family. So then um, Jesus said, but, but, but what will I like in this generation? What can I compare this generation? I'm telling you what generational preaching sometimes it's it's difficult uh, because the people of your generation sometimes are the most difficult people 
to reach. And Jesus found some frustration with the people of his generation. He did. And, and he said this. He said, I, I said well, how do I even compare them? He said, they're like people, like children that are seated in the marketplaces. And I'll expound this in a moment. And they call out to their companions and say, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. So we mourn to you. We changed channels. And we mourn to you and you didn't lament. John came neither eating nor drinking. And they said, well, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. And there's one addendum that we're going to add to this because it brings clarity to the Scripture verse that we began here in the 12th verse of the 11th chapter of Matthew. When it says these words, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That actually sets the tone of what I'm going to talk about here in just a few moments. The wording of it is not as familiar to us, we, but Luke records it slightly different. So we'll read his word here in Luke. Uh, did I give you all that one? If not, I'll just say it's Luke 16 and 16. There it is. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. You're here today and you didn't know it that you pressed into the kingdom. You heard a call. You heard a sound. A message went forth. It was the cross of Calvary. A lot of things could have prevented you, but you pressed into God's eternal kingdom by faith. Today, what I want to talk to you a little bit is I want to, I'm going to have a little bit of uh, uh, edge to the preaching today in the context of a little bit of frustrations that I incur as a pastor in this generation, just like Jesus did in his generation. So I'm going to preach a message I've entitled today, Counterbalance, Counterbalance. And so don't forget that. Father of heaven, I love you, and I'm grateful for this opportunity. I feel like, Father, the Apostle Paul has set the precedence for us here that, God, we can have a dependency upon the Holy Spirit, that I don't have to stand in front of our church family with eloquence of wisdom, Father God, or eloquence of speech, but, Father, I can have an unction from the Holy One, as Peter himself would write, that I can have an unction by the Holy Spirit and speak the words that will be written on the heart of the listener today. Now, truly, God, I pray this for all of us here today, myself included. I don't want this to just be a sermon. I want this to be a word from heaven. I desire this to be. God, whatever things that I've written beforehand in my notes, if they are not the word for today, then give me the courage to fold them up and move them out of the way. Father, if there's something more, something beyond, something that the Spirit of God spontaneously wants to speak to our ears today because we are reminded of what Jesus said. We must have spiritual ears. We must determine to listen. Father, we cannot allow the things around us, the white noise of the world, to call us to be dull to the hearing of the things of the kingdom of God. Let us be uh, receptive. And God, speak to us under this thought, counterbalance today. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Privileged opportunity not only to preach the word of God, but to pastor. Pastoring is not uh, necessarily the most easiest occupation. That's absolutely, uh, even though there's a great reward behind it, and definitely, definitely getting to hang out with God's people is a great privilege. But there are, there are unseen um, trials that, that come along to pastors, and sometimes it's the there's a uh, cultural trends that, that put, try to put pressure on you to alter or to deter from the things that you know are right and that are valuable. And sometimes those trends are of the world, and sometimes they're not of the world. Sometimes they're church trends. Come on. Uh, you say, Pastor, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, um, 
Let's just think about that for just a moment. How many of you know that sometimes fashions trend, fashion trends, fashion changes a lot, doesn't it? It's kind of ironic, though, some of the fashion trends of the 70s, <laughs> you know, they just, if you hang out long enough, they just kind of circle back around a little bit. You know, I can remember pictures of my mom wearing glasses like these in the 70s. And uh, they were faded out for a long time, but then all of a sudden things kind of circle back around. And all of us have su succumbed to some type of cultural trends at some level. Let's just be honest. You found yourself doing something, getting a hairstyle that maybe wasn't your favorite, but the trend, you bought a, a garment that you thought that you should buy. Not necessarily it was your favorite, but it was, it was the trendy thing to do. Those trends and that, that, that concept of trendiness, uh, it does penetrate into the church and there's a lot of things that happen that leave us at times just scratching your head because you know what ultimately it becomes that same rat race that's in the world will, will come rushing into the church and then you can't change things fast enough and you can't uh, change the wall color or the screens or the stage or the looks of the pastors to to be trendy enough you know, and I've just arrived at the point in my life where I've just said this real, real quickly. I feel the pressure of that. I do. I feel, I'm going to show you this in the Word of God in just a moment. But you know what? I, I've, I've arrived at the place in my life where I said, you know what? I'm not, I don't want to be defined as a trendy pastor. I just don't. I want maybe one day if, if, if I'm alive uh, you know, and, 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 and live out my life to the fullest and before Jesus returns. Maybe somewhere on that, on, that, uh, on that headstone somewhere will be just a note about that, that he preached the Word of God or he taught the Scriptures or he believed. In, because you know what? That doesn't change. Church uh, trends can change. But I'm telling you what, the Word of God does not change. And so I've sold myself out to teach you the truths of the Word of God. And it means you're going to have to become a student. And we can't just prop you up and pacify you all your life. I've said this before, and I heard this from a preacher long years ago, that he said, we don't mind giving uh, milk to babes in the church. I remember him preaching this. His name was Don Brankle. He was an old line, Assembly of God uh, preacher. I mean, an old line, and, and, uh, but, but used mightily as an evangelist, signs and wonders. He said, and he said this. He said, we don't mind you know, giving you the milk, he said, but we struggle with parting the mustache to put in the nipple. There comes a moment where we got to put an expectation of spiritual maturity upon you and say, you got to set your heart to grow and mature in the things of God. If I have any struggle with some of the cultural trends in the churches that we have so watered down our message that you can't, in many churches, there's no convicting power of the Holy Spirit. There's no penetrating. Why is there no convicting power of the Holy Spirit? Because there's no penetrating word. Because the pen it's the penetrating, it's the word that's sharper than any two-edged sword. If I stand up here and don't speak the word of God to you, then the Holy Spirit has nothing to convict you with, to arrest your heart, to cause us to say, you know what, God, I need you to do something in my life that produces a change in me. In this passage here, just for a moment of time, in Matthew's gospel, let's elaborate on it just real quickly. I, and I won't preach it all because of the sake of, for the sake of time. It's unique because it's telling us about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, if I can say this, in, 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 uh, he, was a, he was hated by the religious leaders of his day. But he was a, a radical reformer to those that had been waiting for something to happen in ancient Israel. And he was a separatist. He didn't, he, he, you know, he was a, 
He was a priest by birth. His father was in the priesthood. His father was serving in the priesthood. But John considered the temple corrupted. And he chose not to go that way. And he lived outside of the precincts of the temple. He didn't do his thing in the temple. And when the call of God came upon him, he didn't find uh, an opportunity to speak uh, at the temple, uh, you know, in the little courts or the rooms or the side rooms. But he found his, his, his pulpit out in the wilderness. It might have been a rock. It might have been standing. It was on the banks of the River Jordan. It was a compelling word of conviction. If you read the recorded uh, record of John's message, it was this right here. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. That's what he began with. And that's what he culminated with. Repent. There's something that's happened. Repentance means to change your mind, change your direction. You're going this way. It's time to turn around and go God's way. I'm telling you, we need repentance again. I need repentance in my life. It's easy to get off the course, right? And I need to change my mind and get back on course and go the direction that God has for me. And so John has started a reformation. And, and so, uh, ultimately, if you're familiar, you know that he is actually, because of his refusal to not address the iniquity of the Roman procurator and the Roman, excuse me, the Roman king Herod at that time for taking his brother's wife in marriage and by speaking out and calling that adultery, wouldn't that be a shock to the American Christian church to have pastors actually speak out against things that the Bible plainly says are sin. And as a result, he's cast into prison. And he had boldly proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, but day after day, uh, with the threat looming that he might not ever see another day outside of the solitary confinement of that prison cell, his heart began to question. And I can understand that, can't you? The solitary confinement, the weightiness, the thoughts that he may die, and he's wondering, the man that I testified about, this Jesus, if you read his record in John chapter 1, when he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Joe's quoted many times. He said, I must decrease, but that man Jesus must increase. And he had boldly proclaimed him as the Messiah. But now he's starting with the inward questioning, Are you really the one? And when he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one that should come, or do we look for another? Remember what Jesus said. If you read that earlier, he said, you go tell John. He said, he, he said here's what I want you to tell John what's going on. He said, the blind are seeing. The deaf are hearing. Come on, the lame are leaping with glory. Come on. And he said, and to the poor, the gospel is being preached. And, he, and as they took that word back, and you know what? If you read that in its context, Jesus had just performed miracles. And you know that those disciples just stood there with blind, because John didn't perform miracles. John just preached a convicting word. You know those two disciples that came just stood there with eyes open when they saw blind eyes begin to see, and they saw that people that could not hear could suddenly hear, and they knew that that was a cripple. Now that cripple's running around, come on around, and they were just amazed. And as they're going back, you know, there was haste in their step because they're like, we're going to go back, we're going to tell John, man, that has to be the Messiah. He said these words, he said, and by the way, tell him, blessed is he, blessed is he who is not offended in me. And then Jesus does something that's unique. Jesus was not somebody to necessarily commend men publicly, but he commended G John. He said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see a, a reed shaken by the wind? He said, no. He said, what did you go out to see? Somebody dressed in king's uh, clothing, you know, the fashion trend of the day. You remember what John was dressed like? Man, wouldn't he look 
in today's contemporary church, right? Wouldn't he be an outcast showing up with his, just, you know, his, his camel's belt and clothing and, and look at his diet. We don't have, well, you know what? They do have grasshopper uh, uh, shops out in California, by the way. I did not choose to eat there when I was there to see Alyssa, but they do that. But isn't that odd? That was his diet, grasshoppers or locusts and wild honey. He just didn't want to touch anything of the world. He wanted to be separate. Come on. There was a separatist in his mind because he wanted to be set apart, sanctified for his service to God. And Jesus said, you know what? Of all those that had ever been born, uh, he said there was no greater than John the Baptist. Nobody greater. He said, but then, he said, but he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so a contrast, a balance that was necessary right there, a counterbalance, if you would, for the people. And then that 12th verse, and it just pierces my heart every time he reads it, every time, excuse me, that I read it. Because he said, he said, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven will suffer violence. And the violent will take it by force. What does that mean? What, what is this thing, kingdom now? Not our now, but then. Jesus preached. That was Jesus' first message as well. Jesus' first message was the same as John. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was it? The people were had their expectations on an earthly kingdom, a kingdom where they would be ruled and reigned by the son of David. But Jesus was coming to preach of a heavenly, a spiritual kingdom, but that the kingdom of God is within you. It was among you, and it is within you. And it's a kingdom that begins by repentance and responding to the Holy Spirit and turning your heart and your life back to God. And so in this passage, Jesus is saying from the day that John preached his first message he said there have been hindrances made from people trying to enter the kingdom but he said you know what the kingdom of heaven will allow it will allow men and women to become violent not violent by drawing the sword of jihad like the islamic terrorist but drawing the sword of faith but having a faith and a passion before god something that says you know what i hear him calling me and if he's calling me i'm going to get through and get to where he's calling me to be that's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is here. You're there. The call's gone out. But there's been a lot of things trying to keep you out. But if you truly hear God's call, you will run through it. David said, by my God, I'll run through the troop. By my God, I'll leap up over a wall. You remember that old thing that we used to play when we were kids? Red Rover, Red Rover, send JoJo right over, right? And you set your heart. You were going to get through. There were at least three things that culturally that were hindering people from entering into the kingdom of God that Jesus was addressing, one of which was religious persecution and religious traditions that were hindering people through the Pharisees. Jesus reproved them later in Matthew chapter 23. He said, you are hindering. He actually said that in the scriptures. He said, you are hindering people from coming in to the kingdom of God. But he said, but you know what? Those that have made it, he said, you didn't allow their religious traditionalism, and you didn't allow the fact that they took the Word of God and they set it aside to teach the commandments of men. You didn't allow that to stop you. You got into the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of heaven allows for people to be violent to enter into it. I know there is a, a, a passiveness that there is a part of being a child of God, but there is also an assertiveness. Right? We have a, 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 a mentality that if you're a Christian, you're always just meek. And you're quiet and you're mild-mannered and you won't say or do anything. But I'll tell you what, there's another side. There's another side that will walk into the temple and turn the tables over. 
There's another side that'll kick open the, the, the boxes that are holding the doves. There's another side that'll say, you know what, this ain't right. This isn't right. There's a, there's a, there ought to be a side of us that in the presence of evil, we have the courage to boldly stand up and to renounce this evil in Jesus' name. There's a side to us. And so in this passage of Scripture, he said, you pressed through and you got all the way through that Pharisaical doctrine. There was another thing that were hindering the people, and that was Roman influence. We call it Hellenization. The Grecian culture had penetrated even into Israel. Remember what Israel was supposed to be? They were supposed to be a people set apart that lived different, acted different, and talked different. But because the, the, the Grecian culture, the Hellenization had taken place all the way into Israel, that people were, 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 were struggling with that, and they were trying to adapt the Grecian ways. And Jesus said, if you're in the kingdom, it's because you got through that. You ran through it or you jumped over it. And he said, the kingdom of heaven has allowed you entrance and I'm thankful for it today. And then also apathy, number three. Those are three things. Just that I don't care. It's the way it is. You know, I'll just, you know what, I'll just be who I am. It really doesn't matter. You know, I don't want to rock anybody's boat. I don't want to say anything offensive. I don't want to do anything. Just a spiritual apathy. And when I think about this church family, it's just what it reminds me of today. It just reminds me that in our culture, there's still a lot of things that are hindering people from entering into God's kingdom. Let me tell you, the sound goes out every day. The sound of Jesus Christ crucified, the sound of the need to repent. And there's a lot of things. And you may be hearing the gospel message for the first time. But let me tell you, there's a lot of things that will try to prevent you from hearing his call. But God is saying God allows for violence. Violence not in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. And deep inside you is a capacity to believe. Every one of us in this room, no matter how old we are, young we are, whether we are saved or unsaved, let me say this, there is a capacity inside of every one of us to believe believe we have the ability to believe did y'all hear what i just said inside of you is the ability to believe and possess faith in god and so when that sound goes out and you know god's calling you when you know he's calling you got to determine i'm not going to allow anything do you hear what paul said in that passage he said to those of us who are called to those of us who are called, this message of the cross is not offensive to me. This message is not foolishness. It's not a stumbling block. The message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's the thing that I will run through the troop and leap up over a wall to get to because of the change that it produces in my life and the recognition of the grace of God that's exhibited through Jesus Christ's redemptive work on the cross. And I want that grace of God in my life, don't you? I'm telling you today, church family, it's time to shake off. Paul wrote in Romans chapter number 14 that he said, high time. It is high time. What does that mean? It's past time. If we're not careful, the very things that were hindering Jesus' generation will hinder us from entering into the kingdom of God. It will be the Hellenization or the, or the culture of the world that has penetrated in upon us until we no longer want to look or be or act different from the world. Or it will be that the, 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 the doctrines are no longer uh, teaching us about God, but in essence are preventing us from getting to God. Or it will be a spiritual apathy, lulled to sleep by the, by the darkness of this world until we do not care and we miss our moment. But I want you to know today there is something in my heart that says, you know what, I'm not going out. I don't know when God's going to call my number, but I've determined in my heart of hearts not to fizz out. I've determined in my heart of hearts I'm going to be a bright and a shining light until that very last moment and that very last breath in my lungs because I, church family, see the kingdom of heaven still suffers violence. And I believe that you can press in, but when you press in, you don't have to just stay quiet and silent. You can advance the kingdom of God. 
through a spiritual verver and an intensity of faith. If there's something in me that I want to see in this generation that's coming up in the church, I'm telling you, we need to get radical in our faith again. Let me tell you, I'm going to say it one more time. That's a, that's a pitiful amen to the words that I just said. We need to be radical in our faith. See, I believe in the power of prayer. That's why we still have a prayer service on Sunday night, because we want you to know there's much more important things to do than to sit around in front of the television set on Sunday afternoons, that you can get along with God, and you can move God by the power of faith. There's one thing that will move the hand of God, that's faith. Exercise in prayer. And this generation of believers in the earth, we don't even know how to pray. We don't know how to get along with God. We don't know how to be bold and authoritative in the promises of God. But you know what, church family? We can be different. We can be say, I don't know what's going on across the street. I don't know what's going on up at the hill. I don't know what's going on at the bypass. But I can say one thing. If Elijah was a man subject unto like passions such as I am, and he prayed and heaven was shut up for three years, and he prayed again and the heavens opened, then I have the capacity to see a change in my family when I pray. I have the capacity to be able to tell the devil, you can't have my children. You can't have my sons and daughters. I have the ability by faith to advance the kingdom of God. You don't have to go to a school campus that's been infiltrated by the spirit of Antichrist, intimidated. You can go in with a sharpness about you. I didn't say in an ugly sense, but in an anointing upon your life. You can walk right. There were times when the masses of humanity were trying to get to Jesus, some to touch him to be healed. But there were at least two other instances when masses of humanity tried to press into him because they were going to take him and throw him because he thought he was, they thought he was a madman. He was a reformer, and they didn't want to hear what he had to say. And you know what he did? By the anointing of God. I'm telling you, that's how you can go into your office in the morning, not arrogant, but you can go in confident. That's how you can go to the workplace where you're at the factory and they're selling drugs on break time. And you can go there and you are not moved because there's something inside of you that says, you know what, I got a mission. I'm claiming every one of you for the kingdom of God. I'm claiming you every day. You go there and you be the smell of life or the smell of death, the fragrance of Christ. That's what God's called you to be. But you know what, our church today, you know what the church today, you know where we're at? We're just like in Jesus' day. I'm just telling you like I feel today and what I see. This is what we, this is what, here's where Jesus said. He said, okay. He said, well, I've been preaching my heart out and so has John. Some have responded, but not all. Right? Some have responded. And he said, here's the perplexity. He said, John came and he was a religious uh, uh, zealot. He was separate from the temple. And you know what y'all said about him? You said he's got a devil. So he said, so I came amongst the people. You know what? If, let's use political terms that also bleed over into Christianity. Conservative liberal. It's not just about Democrat, Republican. Those terms go, were, were uh, around long before there became a Republican Party and a Democratic Party. John would have been labeled a conservative, a separatist. Jesus would have been labeled a liberal religiously speaking under the law because he said I came eating and drink. John wouldn't touch any of it John said I'm not I'm not eating your food and I'm not drinking your drink I'm not I, come on he's I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid John said I'm not drinking that I'm gonna go out here I'll take water and locusts that's all I need but Jesus just said you know what I, I just somebody uh, yeah go ahead bring me that cup of wine he was eating and drinking 
He said, and yet you still weren't moved. You know what? There is such a, a spiritual apathy in the American culture today. And the thing that here grieves me just a little bit. Are y'all with me here today just a little bit? Here's the pressure. Can I tell you about the pressure for a moment? The foolishness of the church in our generation. Here's what, it, what, what I struggle with. I, this is my personal struggle. That I, I hope without being de- perceived as being... I don't, I don't want to be perceived as being a critical... I don't, I don't, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that, but I also don't want to be duped either. And also, I'll speak what I feel in this moment. Let me just say this. Here's what I see about the foolishness of the church in our generation. We seek to appeal to the world by somewhat trying to look, act, or sound like them. You know, we see that as our purpose to reach people, and we are to reach people. We are to be a bride and a shining light, and we want to reach people. But you know what? Sometimes, the, I'm telling you, there's a hardness, and sometimes it doesn't matter. Noah preached for 120 years, and there was eight people that got on that boat with him. Right? And you said, Pastor, that's a cop-out, because if you were just doing these things, and if you'd get the lighting just right in your church, and if you'd take that tie off, uh, then you would appeal to more people. You know what? Whether you got a tie on, or whether you got a sports jacket, or whether you got a, uh, a wife beater on, you, what you got to have is you got to have the anointing on. That's what you got to have. And you need to be clothed with his righteousness, and you need to have a word. And when I preach, I need to preach not about the wisdom of this world. I don't need to bring you here and give you poems and give you fables. I need to open you to the text of the word of God, bring you to the original application, and then make an application of it in your life until it edifies you and builds you up in your most holy faith. That's what needs to be done. And I struggle because in the church... Here's what we have in this. This is what where the pressure comes on us pastors. We think to draw, this is the new cool term about the sinner, the unchurched. We can't call him a sinner. He's unchurched. Because if we would just show him affirmation and love, yes, 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 it would then it, it would, he, would, he would be one to Jesus. You know what? He's a sinner, and he needs a Savior. That's what he is. He's a sinner. You know what? When I was eight years old, and I was at the, that children's church at Landmark Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. I was a sinner, and I needed a Savior. Let's go farther than this real quickly today. I just feel it. I'm, I, I don't know if anybody's saying go on, but I feel the Lord saying going on. So I'm going to press on. We, we feel like that we've got to turn our church facilities and our services into somewhat of a social entertainment expo. I said, you've got to have a coffee bar. I'm not against coffee in the foyer. I am against it in the sanctuary. I, you know what? I'll just be honest. If you can't give an hour and a half without coffee to hear what the preacher says, and number two, I don't want you dumping that coffee over on this $10,000 worth of carpet that the good folks of this church family uh, paid for. That's just the way I feel. I'm sorry if that offends you, that you'll have to find a church that allows you to bring the coffee up in here. But the way I feel like it is you got all week to drink your cup of coffee. You could come in the sanctuary and say, you know what, for just an hour and a half, I'm going to worship God. I'm sorry. That's, not against, that's against the cultural trend. Pastor, you've got to have better lighting. You've got to have the cool worship team. You've got to dress in jeans and T-shirts and tennis shoes. And I am in tennis shoes today, but nonetheless, you've got to preach elementary sermons on relationships or dreams or goals or blessing, you can't use too much scripture. 
Don't be too aggressive. Pastor, you've got to get rid of that table and, and, or that, that pulpit, and you've got to get a little table. And you've got to set that, you've got to, you've got to loosen people up by you having your coffee on the little table there that you're going to teach at. And you've got to casually sip a cup of coffee occasionally while you talk about a little Sunday school lesson somewhere along the way because you've got to make the unchurched feel welcome and, and comfortable uh, among you. That's the word, that's the cultural trend. Those of us that are in ministry can get, it may not be spoken directly, but it's unspoken. And the pressure begins to weigh on you. And you, then you feel like you are, you way out there. All of a sudden, you think you're like John. You're like, oh my gosh, send me to the wilderness. Let me go just a little bit farther. Okay, if that ideology, uh, that, that, that ideology is true, then why not get rid of the coffee and just bring in beer? I mean, if really, if that's what the tool, if we just think coffee is going to bring the unchurched or the sinner into the kingdom, if we think coffee, and again, I'm not against coffee, okay? I'm against us thinking that's what's going to bring somebody in the kingdom. It's the preaching of the cross. It's when you know he called your name, when he called you, and you hear it for the very first time. That's when you'll run through the truth. That's when you say, I'll get through the coffee. I'll get around it. I'll get past the coffee bar. I want to get down to the altar because I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I want to know about Jesus Christ and his glory and his power. Yeah, I thought on that. You know what? If we just bring in beer, to, we, I, we will really draw the unchurched. Yeah, you know what? We won't be the church of the highlands. We'll be church of the high life. <laughs> okay, now let me just go out there on this one. Now, I'm going to get in trouble on this one. Instead of, instead of me demanding a strict clothing standard for our worship team, which I do. Now, I worked that out amongst them, and we all talked it out until we arrived at a place of agreement. But I told them I have a personal principle the Bible says under the old covenant, under the altar, said this real quickly. It said this, said that when you go up to the altar, God said, I don't want to see any nakedness. So I just kind of, that's just a conviction in my heart. So I talked to our church family and we all work it out. Well, forget that. If we're trying to draw the sinner, forget that. I'll be careful and I'll let that alone right there. I won't go, I won't say what I was thinking. I was thinking, well, we'll just dress them like the hooter waitresses and just let them, you know, if we really want to draw the world. But I'm telling the truth up in here today. All right, well, forget about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Let's just bring in Mary Jane. Is that our ideology, though? Is that, that's where we're at. We say, if we'll just give the world just a little bit, we'll just co-mingle just a little bit of it, then we, the cross won't be offensive to them. The cross is offensive. The cross is offensive. It's either life to you or it's death to you, and we can't do anything about it. You're either going to respond to it, and your heart's going to melt like wax in the presence of God, or you're going to be hardened, and you're going to turn, and you're going to run away from it, and I can't do anything about it. You say, Pastor, no, 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 you'll just, you're just too radical. John was radical. Jesus. Let's go, church family. If John the unchurched is our biggest intention, and I want people that don't know Jesus to be brought in here, I do. But if we think our method is what's going to save them, Paul said it's the foolishness of the message preached that's going to save those who believe. 
That's what's going to say when somebody understands that they were a sinner and that they are a sinner. But God so loved you, he commended his love for you that while you were yet a sinner, he sent his son to die on that tree for you. You deserved, that was the just punishment that every one of us deserved. But that's the word that most of us wouldn't understand, the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, the substitution. God substituted Jesus for you. Yes, there is a wrathful side of God. There is, because God is holy and just. And he poured his wrath out where? Upon his son, so that he could welcome you into his eternal kingdom. He laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. That's the foolishness of the message that's preached. We think our method is going to save those who believe, but it's the method or the message. Paul said it is Christ crucified. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block, and to Greeks, it's foolishness. But hear this, and I'm preparing to close. And Chan, I want to ask y'all to come back. If you would, I forgot to tell you, but let's prepare to sing that song, Come to the Altar, if you would, today. If you would, for those of you that can, I'd like to close with that in just a moment. Paul said of Christ, he became our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Let me say, did you hear that? In that, in that, in that famous passage in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul said, Christ became our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Instead of going the way of the, the cultural trend of the church and, numbing, and dumbing down the message, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to counterbalance it a little bit. I don't know what's happening elsewhere. It may be dumbed down. And, and again, you, you may not learn about propitiation. You may not learn about redemption or justification. But here at First Assembly, we're going to try to teach you those things because we believe that they're paramount to the development of your faith. For you growing in your understanding of God. And we're so grateful for the people among us that are leaders that carry a similar conviction. I want you to know and to hear the truths of the kingdom of God. I want your faith to not be in the wisdom of men, but it's in the power of God. It's in the power of God. I thank God for the scriptures. Can I say that to you today? I thank God for the scriptures. Matter of fact, I was thinking about my, uh, my, my children this, this morning while I was in prayer. And I thought, you know what? I, I think for their birthdays this year, I'm going to buy them all a new copy of the scriptures. And, and for, uh, instead of giving them a, a $25 or $50, I'm going to give them so, so that maybe they will all be reading the same thing. And, and then, then they'll feel the conviction. Dad gave it to me. I need to read it just a little bit. So my, go my goal is, listen, my goal, I want to say this about using this term, the unchurched, for just a moment. My goal is, as a pastor, remember counterbalance. What does that mean? Counterbalance means that sometimes you have to shift something here to correct something that's out of balance. My, my goal is to expose you. Rather than necessarily redesigning our church and our facilities and our structures and our attire, in an, uh, uh, an ill-fated attempt to draw the unchurch, my goal is rather to so expose you to the riches of God's grace, His power, His goodness, that it leaves you so altered that you leave here radically moved and you become the bright and the shining light in your family, in your workplace, in the marketplace, you by faith begin to press forward and advance the kingdom. By faith, you pressed in. And by faith, you pressed forward. By faith, you were welcomed in. By faith, 
you advance God's kingdom into other people's lives. How many believe you can do that? I believe you can. If you're not apathetical or complacent, you get up every day with a vision and a compelling burden in your heart. God has put his anointing on your life. You're a preacher of the gospel. Here's what I put, my own words, I'm getting ready to close. For me, it's not about who we bring in here. See, we do all this, that's the cultural trend. You got to do this and that because of who you're bringing in. It's not about who we bring in. For me, it's about who we're sending out. It's about who we're sending out. Because we can do everything and we can do all the little cultural trends. And that's still not adequately enough. The sinner is not going to give us that much time. You're going to have to go out with something in your heart that moves you. That you're stirred. And I'll tell you what, when you look at Jesus Christ and Him crucified, I'll tell you what, I can't help but be stirred. I'm going back and revisiting doctrines that I've known for many, many, many years. And they move me now like I was 17 years old getting ready to preach my very first or second sermon. That's what the preaching of the cross is. If removed by God's power, you will go into all the world and you will preach the gospel. Evangelization will take place out there. Discipleship will take place in here. Can I say that? That's the counterbalance to the trends in the church. If the people you witness to are called, they will respond. If not, it doesn't matter though one raised from the dead. That's what Jesus said. If their hearts are hardened against God, you want to know God through Christ, I encourage you, come, press in. I don't know who's here today. The door of the kingdom is open. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm not attempting as I conclude to be critical of other churches and their mission and their strategy of evangelism, but I determined to counterbalance the trends in church ministry by keeping the emphasis on doctrine, keeping the emphasis on spiritual maturity, expecting evangelization to take place as a result of instead of in the place of. Does that make sense to y'all here today? Counterbalance. 